Welcome back to the Go Therefore podcast. This is the, I guess not welcome back, you know, it's it's the first episode in order. Um, my, na- my name is Patrick Wong. I'm your host today. I know that typically you will hear about f- six voices uh, talking in Google Hangouts, but today I'm flying solo, one, because I was sick with uh, COVID-19, and so I missed the week that we covered Acts 1 through 4. Eric did an incredible job at leading that for the group. So today I'm just going to go through it um, relatively quickly, not really relatively quickly, just kind of at a pace that uh, allows us to kind of study what the scripture was saying. You're going to hear the squeak of my chair. This is a very informal podcast. Um, And we're going to dive into Acts and we're just going to learn um more and more about what what the apostles went through in the start of the church and and what went through that and so um before i even start i'm going to pray for our time and uh yeah as we study scripture together we're not going to take this lightly so father god i pray for this time lord i pray for your your word may it speak to us may it move us may it guide us and so um god we thank you so much that you are no longer in the grave uh, but we get to pick up right after you've been with us uh, and out of the grave for so many days. And so, Lord, I pray that um, we are reminded of that throughout the whole book of Acts, is that you don't, you didn't stay in the grave. You didn't um, allow yourself to be beaten by death, uh, but rather it was all part of your plan to bring your people back to you um, and to bring people who weren't yours back to you. So, God, I pray for this time as we open up your scriptures uh, however long this takes, God, I pray that you would use it to its fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so some background about Acts. Acts is like Luke part two. It was written by Luke to a man named Theophilus uh, in order to convince him, uh, I guess, really what, what Jesus had done in Luke and then the result of what Jesus had done in Acts. And so that's the main background of it. It's it's a letter to Theophilus. So you'll see often there'll be a switch in perspective between Luke saying Paul and I did this or so and so and I did this to they did this. And so that's that's Luke referencing whether he was a part of that part of the journey or not. Um, and if you pay attention, you'll find that uh, that happens quite often. Either Luke will join the journey that let's say Paul was on or he'll be talking about it as if it was a it was an outside event, much like he did in Luke, where he wasn't really present. Um, so that's kind of where we pick up. This is Luke part two, so a few days or so after Jesus had risen from the dead and Luke had ended, and and so that's where we pick up. Chapter one, we're going through the first four chapters of the book today, so however long this takes, there may be interruptions, uh, but that's all right. Um, we're here to just kind of sit in scripture, so... Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we, we pick up 40 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. And so Luke's argument is to Theophilus is saying, Jesus is alive. There are eyewitnesses, um, and he's been here for 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God, right? 
So verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit for, for many days from now. Not many days from now. So Jesus gives a command to the disciples saying, hey, wait in Jerusalem. And, and they're going to wait for this coming promise that Jesus had given them, much like John the Baptist references. So when they had come together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do, you look, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay. So Jesus gives them a command, stay in Jerusalem. He then says, he then, the, the disciples then ask, is, is this the time, Lord? Is this, is this when, you know, you're going to come back and you're going you're gonna to take, take your kingship? And he responds, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Uh, and then he flips it and rather gives them a responsibility saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Acts 1.8 is actually the, the key verse for the book of Acts. It sets the tone for the mission of the church as well as the direction the church is going to go. So the mission being, you will be my witnesses and the direction being Judea, Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is the city. Judea and Samaria are the regions and the ends of the earth are everywhere else that the disciples are going to go. And that's really how the book of Acts is structured. Chapters 1 through 12 are found in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 is uh, Philip with Judea and Samaria. And everywhere after chapter 12, Philip goes to the ends of the earth. And, and you'll find that it's really cool. That's the way that Luke kind of breaks down the formula for Acts. Um, so yeah, to verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the men with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they, they took this, this command seriously. When Jesus told them to uh, stay put until the Holy Spirit comes, that's exactly what they did. They were like, all right, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray and we're going to pray. Um, which I think is such a cool response. And, and how often do we let that be our response to, to something that the Lord has called us to do? Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with a reward of his weakness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out it became known to all the inhabitants of jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language akeldama that is field of blood for it is written in the book of psalms may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it 
and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you would have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship with which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven disciples. So what they did was they they elected a new twelfth disciple. They elected Matthias to be the twelfth, to replace Judas, um, to become one of the apostles. To be an apostle, you have to witness the resurrection of Jesus and and have had to walk with him closely, I believe. And so that's chapter one. So, so they, they took off. So they have yet to, to have the Holy Spirit come upon them yet. But in their waiting, they were praying and fill, refilling that office of the 12th disciple, which is important because the 12 will eventually be the first 12 pillars of the church. They'll be the ones leading, as we'll see in the coming chapters, the church. And so for them to have Matthias means that they are a complete unit, I guess a complete unit again in order to uh, accomplish what the Lord had called them to do. So, and it starts when the day of Pentecost arrived. So Pentecost is 50 days after resurrection. So Penta, fought, Penta, Pente is 50. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in in Acts, we're going to see often this pattern of uh, some kind of miracle preaching and then a response by the people. And so here's that first part, that miracle, something big happening, a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people. Um, and and the, the, the typical signifier that the Holy Spirit has come upon a person is when they begin to um, speak in tongues or... Um, they're filled, like they're filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that sets them apart from something normal. And you'll see that throughout the book of Acts. Um, it's typically, it typically follows that pattern as Luke writes it. Um, and the Holy Spirit kind of takes over this scene. So verse five, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men speak who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with wine. So all of these Jews from all over the land are here at the temple worshiping. 
And all of a sudden, they hear preaching in their native tongue. I'm sure they all speak or spoke like Hebrew um, or Greek or some kind of common language. But here they're listening to preaching about Jesus in their native tongue. And their, their response is, aren't these all men from Galilee? Aren't these all guys who are essentially from the country? How are they speaking in such a way that we can understand them? And I like to think that this is not necessarily them like specifically speaking one language, but they're just preaching and, and by the Holy Spirit's power, everybody's hearing it in a different way. Like I'm Chinese. If my native tongue was Chinese and I understood Chinese, then I would like hear them in Chinese, but my, my, you know, somebody else would be hearing it in uh, Japanese or like Tagalog or different things like that. Spanish, you know, they, they hear it, even though we're listening to the same message. I, I like to think that that's what this means. Cause I don't know. I, I don't like to think that the Lord is restrained by, you know, them speaking one language. And so the Holy spirit, not that that matters here, but the Holy spirit is doing something that cannot be explained naturally, right? These guys are like, what does this mean? Other guys are like, they must be drunk. That doesn't make sense. So verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only like 9 a.m., right? This is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is using Joel as an example of an explanation for what's going on. So 22, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, 
whom you crucified. I love what Peter says here. He is using uh, the prophets and the characters that the disciples, or not the disciples, the Jews would 100% understand. The prophet Joel, David, um, and, and he's using them in a way that, that helps them understand that, hey, look, like, David wasn't pointing to himself. David was not the Messiah. He was not the greatest king. God had sent somebody even better to sit on the throne. And how is it, and I love what he says, he's like, how is it that David would say to his Lord, David as king would say to somebody even higher than him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Like that, that, that doesn't make sense, right? So Peter then goes on to say, this, this man, Jesus, is also both Lord, so master, and Christ, Messiah, and you crucified him, you Jews. It's, it's like such a baller move out here. To, to make an aud- audacious claim, I don't know if that's a word, um, for the Jews to say, like, this is where your your script was flipped. Like, you didn't have it right when you crucified the Lord and Christ at the same time. This is your doing. But listen to their response. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So, obviously, them saying, or Peter saying, like, hey, like, like you were wrong, hurts a little bit. But I love that phrase, cut to the heart. It feels like they, they felt this this pain in their chest that that was very heavy. And it showed them, hey, there's there's something not just physically wrong with what happened, but emotionally. Like I feel it in my inner soul. That's how, how cut to the heart. That's what I imagine cut to the heart meaning. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, first off... As an aspiring pastor, it would be really cool just to have like one or three people, you know, give their lives to Christ at the end of a sermon, especially my first sermon. I've preached a couple, but I'm trying to imagine that it one, first off, it's not about numbers. That's not the point here. But I think that's just insane that the magnitude of the gospel was 3000 souls big, if not bigger, because of Peter's like faith and obedience in preaching. Second, I love this because this is going to be a recurring thing again through Acts uh, when it says, and on that day they were added or souls were added. They multiplied. The language is so numerous that you, you don't know. You couldn't add up how many people put their faith in this Jesus, right? So verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread at their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. So I like that. That last verse, day by day. 
they were added. So more and more people were catching this understanding of Jesus that was so much deeper than, than what they had originally seen when Jesus was alive. Second, they had all things in common. The church would give up what they had for the use of the common people. They were willing to be in community, and that mattered so much more than their financial status, financial capability, or whatever, like what have you. They, they decided the church and its mission and its goal to, to glorify Christ and make him known is, so, is worth so much more than my own things. And I just think that that's such a cool idea. Uh, in order for the church to take care of its people, the people decide to take care of the church. Like, I don't know if that made sense, but it's kind of this intertwined loop between the two. So anyway, that's chapter two. Uh, let's move on to chapter three. All right, chapter three starts with, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So once again, we see that pattern of miracle and response to response and praise, essentially. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy Spirit and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter essentially just again preaches the gospel to the Jews in the temple um, in a way that his his personal example is the man that had just been healed by faith. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. I love that verse. It's, it's Peter saying, the prophets pointed to Jesus that he would suffer and, and, and God fulfilled that, that prophecy, right? Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, 
whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise you up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with their fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter is, is just saying that this, is, this was God's plan from the beginning. God was going to send Jesus uh, to be the one who essentially restores his people or those that don't listen shall be taken away from that. Chapter four. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it, it, it was already evening. And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I think that's just so cool that, at least in the first few chapters, we can keep a track of like how many people put their faith in Jesus. Verse 5, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man had been healed, let it be known to all to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I love Peter's boldness. Peter's boldness is kind of the the driving force for a lot of the preaching and the and the sermons that he gives uh powered by fueled by the holy spirit of course uh, in these first few chapters he he has he's in a position much very very similar to what Jesus was in in front of the elders and and they ask you know why what what authority do you do this what what's the reason behind this how and he just stands up and he says, like, look, you guys crucified the reason why I can do the, th the things that I can do. It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. And you guys rejected him. Turns out he's the foundation that we're building all of this on. And he is the source of salvation. I love that. He's essentially calling them out on, on not just hypocrisy, but he's also calling them out on their unbelief and that it, it's still a recurring theme for them not to see Jesus as Jesus, not to see him as Lord, not to see him as Christ. It's still a thing for them as, as the movement of Jesus, the way, as it's called, is growing and growing that the Jews still don't see that Jesus was legitimately who he said he was. So verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were edu uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. It's one of my favorite verses in chapter four, one of my favorite verses in Acts, uh, because it means that there was no special training. There was no special education. There was nothing that set Peter and John apart from the common man, except for the, the amount of time uh, that they had spent with Jesus. I pray that that, that is our 
attitude that is our response to the gospel and to Jesus, that we don't have to be uh, doctoral seminary students um, who have spent years in ministry. No, we, we can be the, the average person and still be ordinary, but obedient to an extraordinary God. That's like one of my favorite things about this is that that is what's going to drive people towards Jesus is the ability for us to just be bold in faith and to step out, not for any other special reason, except that Jesus has ripped our hearts. And we want to use that uh, to, to, to bring others to him. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they had commanded them to leave, leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident in, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, they were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So not only was it just some some miracle that happened, it was something that couldn't naturally happen. Sometimes, you know, things that, that seem like they're wrong in a child get corrected as they grow older and, and bones mature and things like that. But for this man, he was, he was already at at an older age, it wouldn't have happened for him. But I love, I love their response to their threats of, Hey, don't preach in this name anymore. They're like, it's not whether it's right or not to listen to you or listen to God. That's for you to judge. But our only response is to speak of what we have seen and witnessed. That's their whole, uh, uh, that's so cool. That's their, that's their only, I wish that was my response a lot of the time was that I just can't help but speak of what I've, I've seen, what the Lord has done in my life. How, how different would our world be is if, as believers, that's what, that's what our response was to this life-giving gospel. The fact that we were sinners and, and, and God sent Jesus to die in our place, a death that we deserved to give us a life that we didn't. Like, why don't we just, why, why aren't we bold in, 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 in proclaiming that? I think I... I I read this and it hurts my heart that that's a question I have to ask myself constantly. It's like, why am I not more bold? Uh, I don't need formal training. I don't need to wait until I'm quote, quote, ready, but I just need, I, I just need to be obedient because, because of what Christ has already done. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Dude, I love, I'm going I'm to keep saying I love passages in Acts because it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. But chapter four is just so powerful because this wasn't just Peter and John at this point. It's all the believers. Their, their hope was that they would have boldness in place of fear uh, because they, their faith was placed in something beyond what was humanly imaginable. Let's, I'm going to read it again. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined take place. Actually, we got to go back to 27. For truly in the city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So they were placed there, 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's so cool. Like God had, had purposed all of the things that were going to happen to Jesus, all of the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering, all of that was pre-planned and predestined and pre-purposed. Why? For 29, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So their, their response is, God, we understand that you had a purpose for why Jesus suffered the way he did. So let us look upon their threats and, and our response not to shy away, but to be bold in the midst of the threats. Lord, and, and, and they're, they're saying it in a way that is asking God to do it apart from their own strength, right? He says, and grant, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're, they're asking, uh, God, would you give us this? Because we can't do it on our own. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love that. They're not asking God, let us heal more people. God, let us perform more miracles. They're just saying, God, give us boldness to, to be yours. Give us boldness to do whatever it is that you want to do. And let us just be the instruments and the vessels of that. And the, the response is, and when they prayed, verse 31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. That's so cool. Man, I want that to be my prayer. I want my prayer to be, God, let me look upon anything else that this world can throw upon me and let me just be your vessel. Let me be bold and may you do the rest. That's so cool. Let's wrap up. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had given everything in, co they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And that's chapter four. So to wrap up that last part, it's just reiterating what had been said in chapter two. They had everything in common. Their goal uh, was to be the church for the church. And they took care of the church. So they would sell whatever they did, uh, whatever they had, in order for, for to further the mission of the church. So this man, Barnabas, um, had sold a field that belonged to him. And he, and he brought all the money from the field and laid it at the apostles' feet. So that kind of wraps up the mentality of the believers. They were praying for boldness and they had everything in common um, while they were 
missionally minded, they were also taking care of the church and that was part of the mission, which I think is just so cool that both of those go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. It's not missions and the church. It's the church's mission. Um, and so anyway, you'll see that Luke does this thing where he introduces characters uh, and, and, and key figures before they're important. Barnabas, this is his introduction right here. He becomes more important as Paul gets ready to leave for his journeys in chapters uh, 13, 12, 13. Um, so we'll see that as we get there in a few weeks. But you'll notice that because I'm recording this by myself, next week you will have a lot of guests as we cover 5 through 8. And uh, the reason for that is because I'm actually recording this after I had met with my guys and we recorded chapters 5 through 8. So um, if it sounds a little disjointed, that's what it, the reason why is. But to wrap up this, one of my biggest takeaways from this is, is really just reiterating uh, the mission of the church and the attitude of the church. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the earth. Uh, that's the mission of the church is to be witnesses. And I want my heart to reflect that more and more is to be a witness of Jesus, but also in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want my time with Jesus to be a reflection. I want my life to be a reflection of my time with Jesus. Uh, and and it, it sucks because more and more, I find my heart not wanting to be in that time with Jesus, especially during quarantine when everything I can do is like, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I've got time. But to be a to use that time a little bit wiser would be to spend it with Jesus. And so my encouragement for us today is what, what, or what, my biggest question is what is Acts teaching you so far? As we read through Acts chapters one through four, uh, we see a lot of things that uh, it could be quickly glazed over if we don't take the time to read it. And so all all the last 40 or five minutes or so have taught me is uh, I can just talk a lot and, and I like reading scripture out loud. And so, but that's my heart. I mean, I want to be bold. I want to be able to to say that my life is a reflection of my time with Jesus positively. And, and I want my mission to be a witness, uh, both in my life and with my mouth of Christ and what he's done. And to do that boldly, to do that without fear, to call out things that, that need to be called out and, and to let that be really my end goal is to just see Jesus glorified and his, his church multiplied. So I'm going to pray for us. I hope this was encouraging for you. I hope you found this time um, just a relaxing to listen to scripture and um, to listen to to thoughts about scripture. I'm not the end, end expert of this, but I hope that this was encouraging and enlightening. So let me pray for us and uh, I will end our time. God, I thank you so much for your book. I remember so thank you so much for your word uh, that you would speak to us through every single uh, iota, through every single comma, through every single period, through every single consonant and word formed, Lord. Um, I pray for Acts. I pray for, for this time, God, that it was productive. I pray that you would have teach, taught us something new uh, regarding our attitude, regarding our mission, regarding something about you. And I pray, Lord, that that, that was encouraging. Uh, it's encouraging for my heart to know that uh, people may be listening. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you just do something big through our study through Acts. So, God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. 
uh, that he's no longer in the tomb and that we get to live because he lived. So Lord, I pray for this time. Uh, may you be glorified because of it all. And thank you for whoever's listening. I pray that they are um, encouraged and enlightened by this. So we love you. Um, we thank you. And uh, we pray that you continue to do more than we can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been Patrick Huang uh, flying solo today, but that won't be the case in the future. And we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much. Have a great one.